Daily Katina is now streaming on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. You can find the full range of listening options at anchor.fm slash daily hyphen Katina. December 6th, 2020, the second Sunday of Advent. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mark the Evangelist, who served the priesthood in Israel, according to the flesh a Levite, having been converted to the Lord, wrote his gospel in Italy, showing in it how even his family benefited Christ. For commencing his gospel with the voice of the prophetic cry, he shows the order of the election of Levi, declaring that John, the son of Zechariah, was sent forth by the voice of an angel, and saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Greek word for gospel is evangelion, which means good tidings or good news. These terms properly refer to the kingdom of God and to the forgiveness of sins. But the gospel is that by which comes the redemption of the faithful and the beatitude of the saints. But the four gospels are one, and the one gospel is four. In Hebrew, The name Jesus is Yeshua, which means Savior. Christ or Messiah is Christos in Greek, and Mashiach in Hebrew, which means anointed, that is, king and priest. The beginning of this gospel should be compared with that of Matthew, in which it is said, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But here he is called the son of God, Now from both, we must understand one Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God and of man. And fitly, the first evangelist names him Son of Man, the second Son of God. That from lesser things our sense may, by degrees, mount up to greater, and by faith and the mysteries of the human nature assumed, rise to the acknowledgement of his divine eternity. Fitly also did he, who was about to describe his human genealogy, begin with a Son of Man, namely David or Abraham. Fitly again, he who was beginning his book with the first preaching of the gospel chose rather to call Jesus Christ the Son of God. 
for it belonged to the human nature to take upon himself the reality of our flesh, of the race of the patriarchs, and it was the work of divine power to preach the gospel to the world. He has testified that Christ was the Son of God, not in name only, but by his own proper nature. We are the sons of God, but he is not a son as we are, for he is the very and proper son, by origin, not by adoption, in truth, not in name, by birth, not by creation. Being about to write his gospel, Mark rightly puts first the testimonies of the prophets, that he might notify all that what he would write was to be received without scruple of doubt, in that he showed that these things were beforehand foretold by the prophets. At once, by one and the same beginning of his gospel, he prepared the Jews, who had received the law and the prophets, for receiving the grace of the gospel, and those mysteries which their own prophecies had foretold. And he also calls upon the Gentiles, who came to the Lord by the preaching of the gospel, to receive and venerate the authority of the law and the prophets. And so he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. But this is not written in Isaiah, but in Malachi, the last of the twelve prophets. But it may be said that this is a mistake of the writer. Otherwise, it may be said that he has compressed into one two prophecies delivered in different places by two prophets. For in the prophet Isaiah it is written after the story of Hezekiah in chapter 40, a voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. But in Malachi 3, Behold, I am sending my messenger. The evangelist, therefore, taking parts of two prophecies, has put them down as spoken by Isaiah, and refers them here to one passage, without mentioning, however, by whom it is said, Behold, I am sending my messenger. For knowing that all things are to be referred to their author, he has brought these sayings back to Isaiah, who is the first to intimate the sense. Lastly, after the words of Malachi, he immediately adds a voice of one crying out in the desert, in order to connect the words of each prophet, belonging as they do to one meaning, under the person of the elder prophet. Or otherwise we must understand that although these words are not found in Isaiah, still the sense of them is found in many other places, and most clearly in this which he has added, a voice of one crying out in the desert. For that which Malachi has called, the messenger to be sent ahead of the Lord, to prepare his way, is the same thing as Isaiah has said is to be heard, a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. But in each sentence alike, the way of the Lord to be prepared is proclaimed. It may be, too, that Isaiah occurred to the mind of Mark in writing his gospel instead of Malachi, as often happens, which he would, however, without doubt correct, at least when reminded by other persons, who might read his work whilst he was still in the flesh, unless he thought that, since his memory was, when writing the gospel, ruled by the Holy Spirit, it was not without a purpose that the name of one prophet had occurred to him instead of another. For thus, whatever things the Holy Spirit spoke by the prophets are implied each to have belonged to all, and all to each. By Malachi, therefore, the voice of the Holy Spirit resounds to the Father concerning the Son, who is the image of the Father by which he has been known. But John is called a messenger, which is the same in Greek as an angel, not because he has the same nature as an angel, according to the heresy of origin, but by the dignity of his office. For that man is rightly called a messenger, who is sent by God, that he might bear witness to the light, 
and announced to the world the Lord coming in the flesh, since it is evident that all who are priests may by their office of preaching the gospel be called messengers. As the prophet Malachi says in Malachi 2, For a priest's lips preserve knowledge, and instruction is to be sought from his mouth, because he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The forerunner of Christ is also called an angel on account of his angelic life and lofty reverence. Again, where he says, ahead of you, it is as if he said, your messenger is near you. And so is shown the intimate connection of the forerunner with Christ. For those walk next to kings who are their greatest friends. There follows, he will prepare your way. For by baptism he prepared the minds of the Jews to receive Christ. Or, the way of the Lord means that way by which he comes into men in repentance, by which God comes down to us, and we mount up to him. And for this reason, the beginning of John's preaching was, Repent. But as John might be called a messenger, because he went ahead of the Lord by his preaching, so he might also rightly be called a voice, because by his sound he preceded the word of the Lord. And so there follows, a voice of one crying out in the desert. For it is an acknowledged thing that the only begotten Son is called the Word of the Father. And even we, from having uttered words ourselves, know that the voice sounds first, in order that the word may afterwards be heard. But it is called the voice of one crying, for we normally use a cry for deaf persons, and for those afar off, or when we are indignant, all which things we know applied to the Jews, for salvation is far from the wicked, and they stopped their ears like deaf servants, and deserved to hear indignation and wrath and tribulation from Christ. But the prophecy, by saying in the desert, plainly shows that the divine teaching was not in Jerusalem, but in the desert, which was fulfilled to the letter by John the Baptist in the desert of the Jordan, preaching the healthful appearing of the word of God. The word of prophecy also shows that, besides the desert which was pointed out by Moses, where he made paths, there was another desert, in which it was proclaimed that the salvation of Christ was present. Or else, the voice and the cry is in the desert, because the Jews were deserted by the Spirit of God, as a house empty and swept out, deserted also by prophet, priest, and king. What he cried is revealed, in that which is added, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. For whoever preaches a right faith and good works, what else does he do except prepare the way for the Lord's coming to the hearts of his hearers, that the power of grace might penetrate these hearts, and the light of truth shine in them? And the paths he makes straight, when he forms pure thoughts in the soul by the word of preaching. Or else, prepare the way of the Lord, that is, act out repentance and preach it, Make straight his paths, that walking in the royal road, we may love our neighbors as ourselves, and ourselves as our neighbors. For he who loves himself, and loves not his neighbor, turns aside to the right. For many act well, and do not correct their neighbor well, as Eli. He, on the other hand, who, hating himself, loves his neighbor, turns aside to the left. For many, for instance, rebuke well, but act not well themselves as did the scribes and Pharisees. Paths are mentioned after the way, because moral commands are laid open after repentance. Or, the way is the New Testament, and the paths are the old, 
because it is a trodden path. For it was necessary to be prepared for the way, that is, for the New Testament. But it was right that the paths of the Old Testament should be straightened. According to the above-mentioned prophecy of Isaiah, the way of the Lord is prepared by John through faith, baptism, and repentance. The paths are made straight by the rough marks of the garment of camel's hair, the leather belt, the feeding on locusts and wild honey, and the most lowly voice. And so it is said, John the Baptist appeared in the desert. For John and Jesus seek what is lost in the desert. Where the devil conquered, there he is conquered. Where man fell, there he rises up. But the name John means the grace of God, and the narrative begins with grace. For it goes on to say, baptism. For by baptism, grace is given, seeing that by baptism, sins are freely forgiven. But what is brought to perfection by the bridegroom is introduced by the friend of the bridegroom. Thus, catechumens, the word means persons being instructed, begin by the ministry of the priest and then receive the chrism from the bishop. And to show this, it is added, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It is evident that John not only preached, but also gave to some the baptism of repentance. But he could not give the baptism for the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins is only given to us by the baptism of Christ. It is therefore only said, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. For he preached a baptism which could forgive sins, since he could not give it. And so, as he was the forerunner of the incarnate word of the Father, by the word of his preaching, so by his baptism, which could not forgive sins, he preceded that baptism of repentance by which sins are forgiven. The baptism of John had not forgiveness of sins, but only brought men to repentance. He preached, therefore, the baptism of repentance, that is, he preached that to which the baptism of repentance led, namely, forgiveness of sins, that they who in repentance received Christ might receive him to the forgiveness of their sins. Now by John as by the bridegroom's friend, the bride is brought to Christ, as by a servant Rebekah was brought to Isaac in Genesis 24, as so there follows, people of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him, as it says in Psalm 96, Splendor and power go before him, that is, the presence of the bridegroom. And the bride Rebekah, leaping down from her camel, signifies the church, who humbles herself on seeing her husband Isaac, that is, Christ. But the meaning of the name Jordan, where sins are washed away, is an alien descent. For we, hitherto aliens to God by pride, are by the sign of baptism made lowly and thus exalted on high. An example of confessing their sins and of promising to live a new life is held out to those who desire to be baptized by those words which follow, as they acknowledged their sins. Because indeed John preached repentance, he wore the marks of repentance in his garment and in his food. And so there follows, John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, he fed on locusts and wild honey. It says, clothed in camel's hair, not in woolen clothes. The former is the mark of an austere garb, 
the latter of effeminate luxury. But the leather belt with which he was girt, like Elijah, is a mark of mortification. And this food, locusts and wild honey, is suited to a dweller in the desert, so that his object in eating was not the deliciousness of foods, but the satisfying of the necessity of human flesh. The dress of John, his food and employment, signifies the austere life of preachers, and that future nations are to be joined to the grace of God, which is what the name John means, both in their minds and in externals. For by camel's hair is meant the rich among the nations, and by the leather belt the poor dead to the world, and by the wandering locusts the wise men of this world, who, leaving the dry stalks to the Jews, draw off with their legs the mystic grain, and in the warmth of their faith leap up towards heaven, and the faithful, being inspired by the wild honey, are full-fed from the untilled wood. Or else the garment of camel's hair signified grief, for John pointed out that he who repented should mourn, for sackcloth signifies grief, but the leather belt shows the dead state of the Jewish people. The food also of John not only denotes abstinence, but also shows forth the intellectual food, which the people then were eating, without understanding anything lofty, but continually raising themselves on high, and again sinking to the earth. For such is the nature of locusts, leaping on high, and again falling. In the same way, the people ate honey, which had come from bees, that is, from the prophets. It was not, however, domestic, but wild, for the Jews had the scriptures, which are as honey, but did not rightly understand them. Or, by the kind itself as his food, he pointed out the Lord, of whom he was the forerunner. For in that our Lord took to himself the sweetness of the barren Gentiles, he ate wild honey. In that he in his own person partly converted the Jews, he received locusts for his food, which suddenly leaping up at once fall to the ground. For the Jews leaped up when they promised to fulfill the precepts of the Lord, but they fell to the ground when, by their evil works, they affirmed that they had not heard them. They made therefore a leap upwards in words, and fell down by their actions. The dress and food of John may also express of what kind was his inward walk, for he used a dress more austere than was usual, because he did not encourage the life of sinners by flattery, but chided them by the vigor of his rough rebuke. He had a leather belt around his waist, for he was one who crucified his flesh with its passions and desires. He used to eat locusts and wild honey, because his preaching had some sweetness for the multitude, whilst the people debated whether he was the Christ himself or not. But this soon came to an end, when his hearers understood that he was not the Christ, but the forerunner and prophet of Christ. For in honey there is sweetness, in locusts swiftness of flight. And so there follows, and this is what he proclaimed, One mightier than I is coming after me. He said this to do away with the opinion of the crowd, who thought that he was the Christ. But he announces that Christ is mightier than he. He was to forgive sins, which he himself could not do. Who again is mightier than the grace by which sins are washed away, which the name John signifies? He who seventy-seven times seven forgives sins. Grace indeed comes first, but forgives sins once only by baptism. But mercy reaches to the wretched from Adam up to Christ, 
through 77 generations, and up to 144,000. But lest he should be thought to say this by way of comparing himself to Christ, he adds, I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. It is not, however, the same thing to loosen the thong, which Mark here says, and to carry his sandals, which Matthew says. And indeed the evangelists, following the order of the narrative, and not able to err in anything, say that John spoke each of these sayings in a different sense. But commentators on this passage have expounded each in a different way, for he means by the thong, the tie of the sandal. He says this, therefore, to extol the excellence of the power of Christ and the greatness of his divinity. It is as if he said, Not even in the station of his servant am I worthy to be reckoned. For it is a great thing to contemplate, as it were, stooping down, those things which belong to the body of Christ, and to see from below the image of things above, and to untie each of these mysteries about the incarnation of Christ, which cannot be unraveled. The sandal is in the extremity of the body, for in the end the incarnate Savior is coming for justice. And so it is said by the prophet David in Psalm 60, Upon Edom I cast my sandal. Sandals are also made from the skins of dead animals. The Lord, therefore, coming incarnate, appeared, as it were, with sandals on his feet, for he assumed in his divinity the dead skins of our corruption. Or else it was a custom among the ancients that if a man refused to take as his wife the woman whom he ought to take, he who offered himself as her husband by right of kindred took off that man's sandal. Rightly, then, does he proclaim himself unworthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals, as if he said openly, I cannot make bare the feet of the Redeemer, for I usurp not the name of the bridegroom, a thing which is above my worth. Some persons also understand it thus. All who came to John and were baptized, through repentance, were loosened from the bands of their sins by believing in Christ. John, then, in this way, loosened the thong of all the others, that is, the bands of sin. But Christ's thong he was not able to unloose, because he found no sin in him. Thus, then, John proclaims the Lord not yet as God, or the Son of God, but only as a man mightier than himself. For his ignorant hearers were not yet capable of receiving the hidden things of so great a mystery, that the eternal Son of God, having taken upon himself the nature of man, had been lately born into the world of a virgin. But gradually, by the acknowledgement of his glorified lowliness, they were to be introduced to the belief of his divine eternity. To these words, however, he adds, as if covertly declaring that he was the true God, I have baptized you with water, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. For who can doubt that none other than God can give the grace of the Holy Spirit? For what is the difference between water and the Holy Spirit, who is born over the face of the waters? Water is the ministry of man, but the Spirit is ministered by God. Now, we are baptized by the Lord in the Holy Spirit, not only when, in the day of our baptism, we are washed in the fount of life for the forgiveness of our sins, but also daily, by the grace of the same Spirit, we are inflamed to do those things which please God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.